All right, so uh, recording because, if you guys may not know, uh, we try to record most of our messages here on Wednesday nights, uh, and there's a, a Kyle from Memphis podcast that you can, can listen to if you want to go back and listen to a message, you want to share a message with a friend, or you miss a week, you want to go back and check, check one out. Most, most of those messages are going to be uh, recorded there and found there on the, on the, on the podcast, so just so you know. Um, yeah. Well, I'm so glad to see you guys. Excited to, to be with you tonight. Excited to study the word together. Uh, Would say let's let's uh, pray and then we're going to jump into it. Father, thank you for the opportunity uh, to share your word and to study it together. God, I pray that you would prepare each of our hearts to receive your word, God. That our hearts would be good soil for your word to uh, take root in, to grow and bear a harvest of faith, the harvest of righteousness in us. Shape and mold us to be the men and women of God you desire us to be. Uh, in every way, God, um, I pray, Lord, that, that we would glorify you, Jesus, uh, in every way. Holy Spirit, you would speak only what you want spoken and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I love you guys so much. All right, here we are. I'm going to start a little differently with this message. Uh, I'm going to start with a poem. Is that all right with you guys? Welcome to Matt's Poetry Corner. It's an old poem. You guys maybe know it, maybe don't. doesn't matter. Uh, it's an older poem, though, man. For, may, going back like 13th century German, right? But more, more popularized in English by Benjamin Franklin. You know this guy, right? Benjamin Franklin and the Poor Richard's Almanac were you know, one of the popularized in English. This poem is called For Want of a Nail. Does that sound familiar? I'm going to read it. It's short. Uh, here's how it goes. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse... The rider was lost. For want of a rider, the message was lost. For want of a message, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. All for the want of a horseshoe nail. Right? So because a horse, you know, horses have their, their, their shoes nailed to their feet. I'm thankful humans don't do it that way. But because of, because of the nail that came loose, a horse lost his shoes, so the horse couldn't make the journey, so the message couldn't come to the battlefront in time. A critical battle was lost, and the kingdom was lost. A whole kingdom lost because of a nail, right? And so what, what's this poem mean? What's the significance, right? That seemingly small and insignificant things can be very important, right? Can, can turn the tide, can be critical. Things that are so small... We don't overlook those things because they can end up being really important, right? A small thing can have a ripple effect to make a big impact. Uh, not just things, but people. Seemingly small and insignificant people can make a big difference in the world and in history, and they have, right? Um, and so, so that's the, the idea there. That's the, 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 the nugget there, right? That's why this poem, and you may have never heard it before, you may have heard it before, uh, that's why this poem resonates with that idea that, man, it's the small things that trip us up sometimes, right? It's the small things that end up making a big difference, it's the unexpected things uh, that, that we don't want to overlook because, man, they, they are important, uh, can be useful, can be significant, right? One of the, man, we see this in fiction a lot, one of the most epic uh, fantasy narratives uh, popular, well-known fantasy narratives. You guys may be familiar with it. It was a, a well-known book series, later an Academy Award-winning movie trilogy called The Lord of the Rings. Are you yes. familiar with this? Yes. Okay, The Lord of the Rings. If you, if you know, you may have heard the name. It's about a lord. He's got some rings. I don't know, but I've heard of it. I've not seen it. I'm not into that stuff. That's fine. Let me give you real briefly uh, the idea of, of this story uh, about The Lord of the Rings. Um, you have this fantasy 
world, right? In this fantasy world, you have this small guy, literally small guy, named Frodo, right? This small guy, Frodo, he's part of a race of small people called hobbits. They're all small. That's their kind of deal. That's their, their, their distinguishing characteristic. They're small people, hobbits. Frodo gets a magic ring from his uncle. Have I lost anybody yet? Uh, and, and this magic ring, everyone's trying to get it, particularly like all the forces of evil conspiring to get this ring, but it ends up in the possession of this little guy. This little guy uh, who's from nowhere, the Shire, right? He's from an insignificant place. He's an insignificant person from an insignificant race of people in this fantasy world. But everybody's trying to get this ring. And it's, he's tasked with taking this ring to a volcano and destroying it before it gets in the hands of evil and destroying the world, right? I won't spoil the ending, right? But, but this very small and insignificant guy plays a tremendous role. He and his friends have to go on this tremendous journey but he makes a big difference, right? The small guy makes a huge difference. The small, insignificant guy makes an incredible difference. Um, and it's the same, and it's the same as in, in Middle Earth, as the fantasy world. It's the same here in our Earth, right? Small and insignificant things, small and insignificant seeming people can make a big difference. People in what seems like small and insignificant positions, God can still use in a powerful way. In fact, as we study scripture, the pattern of God is to use almost exclusively small and insignificant people again and again and again. In fact, it seems like those are the kind of people God delights in using. Are the people the world would say, oh, you're, you're nobody, you're nothing, your position's small. But the people the world would overlook, those are the people that God tends to use for his glory. And so to bring that background to you here tonight, I mean, you may think of yourself as, I'm, I'm nobody special. You know, I'm just a college student. I'm just a guy. I'm just a girl. I mean, I'm not making anybody's top 10 who's who list. Like, I'm not, I'm not a big deal. I'm just a college student. I don't have any kind of position of influence and authority. No one cares what I think, right? I make a post. It doesn't get any likes. Like, none of my friends listen to me. Like, you may think of yourself as insignificant. I want to encourage you guys tonight. Uh, God delights and using these small and insignificant, seemingly insignificant. Nobody's insignificant. But the seemingly insignificant, God delights to use for his glory. And he does it again and again and again. Last week, man, we, we started with this idea of talking about God's heart being his glory among the nations. Again, if you missed it, I think we recorded it. Maybe you can listen to it, right? <laughs> we, but but, but uh, talking about that God's heart is to see himself glorified among the nations, that all people could know who he is so they could trust in him, know him, have relationship with him, and be saved, right? And so if we love God, we want to have the same heart that God has to see him glorified, not just here, not just in our friend group, not just in our family, but among the nations all around the world and all the 8 billion, however many plus people uh, that God's created, that God loves. And we want to see God glorified uh, among everybody. And we're continuing that idea of talking about God's glory among the nations tonight and your role in bringing God's glory to the nations. Of course, it starts with getting his heart. You know, like we talked about last week, God, I want that same heart that you have. 
that none would perish, but all would come to repentance, that all the people you've created that you love spread throughout the nations of the world, that you'd be glorified among them, that those people would come to trust in you, Jesus. Uh, God, give me that same heart that I would also yearn to see that. I would yearn to see God glorified among the nations. I would pray to that end. I would give to that end, even go to that end to seeing God glorified among the nations. And we're continuing that idea tonight, talking about, man, who is it that God uses to bring himself glory among the nations? Well, it's you, right? And it's you and people like you, people that may think, well, man, I, I'm not really that big a deal. I'm just, I'm just somebody, or maybe I'm a nobody, or I don't really have important positions. I don't have a lot of prominence. I don't have a lot of influence. That's exactly who God wants to use, right? That's exactly who God wants to use. God can use you for his glory, no matter your position. So tonight we're talking about, if you're taking notes, wherever he has placed you, right? God's glory among the nations, wherever he has placed you, wherever he's placed you, God can use you strategically for his kingdom and for his glory. It doesn't matter if the world thinks that you're significant or influential. It doesn't matter if you think of yourself as significant or influential. Wherever God's placed you, he can use you in a dramatic way for his glory. He can use you to change the whole tide of history, change the destinies of other people and people groups and nations Y'all are world changers and God can use you. That's, man, if, you're, if there's one takeaway, it's that God can use you no matter who you are, wherever he's placed you, and he wants to use you. He wants to use you. The text we're looking at tonight is going to be 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, if you don't own your own physical Bible, we were giving them away a couple weeks ago. I still have one or two left. Man, see me before you leave here. I would love to put a Bible in your hands. It could be your own uh, personal Bible to study. But we're going to be in 2 Kings, 2 Kings in the Old Testament chapter 5. To set up a little bit what's going on here in the story of Israel in the Old Testament here in 2 Kings. Uh, so you have the nation uh, of Israel. Man, they have fallen into sin and idolatry. They've had a series of uh, wicked kings that are steering them away from God and into sin. You know, the kings should be the one that's setting a good example for the people, right? Political leaders should set a good example for the, the citizens and the nation. In the same way they don't do it today, they didn't do it back then either, right? But so, so the kings are setting bad examples, they're leading people into idolatry, leading people into sin, uh, and, and this is the state of Israel. So God sends prophets to Israel to say, hey, turn away from God, turn, or, I'm sorry, turn back to God, turn away from your sin, turn away from your false gods, turn away from your idols, turn back to God uh, and return to him and repent because he loves you, wants to restore you, and there's going to be judgment coming. Uh, if you don't repent. So a series of prophets come and speak to Israel. Uh, the, the prophets that we follow here in 2 Kings are Elijah and then his protege, Elisha. And so Elisha is the prophet uh, here in 2 Kings 5. And so, uh, and, and you have Israel here and then Israel has different uh, relationships with some of the neighboring nations, the neighboring kingdoms, and the kingdom we're going to open with here in Second Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Second Kings five is the kingdom of Aram. So if you're to look at a map, uh, Aram is to the northeast of Israel there, right? So we're going to begin here in Aram with Second uh, Kings chapter five, verse one. It says, "Now Naaman, say Naaman, Naaman. was the commander of the army of the king of Aram." He was a great man in the sight of his master, the king, and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. So it says, man, this guy was well regarded, well known. We know his name, however many thousand years later, right? Because it's in the Bible, right? He, he's, he's famous. He's prominent. He's somebody. Um, and uh, God had used him 
uh, to grant victory. Now, he's not an Israelite, right? He's not one of God's people, but God still worked through him to get victory uh, for, for his kingdom, for his country, right? God is sovereign over the whole world. God governs uh, the whole world, right? So, so God, God can work through anybody, uh, and God had worked through this guy, uh, Naaman, even though Naaman did not know the Lord. He did not worship Yahweh. He was not part of God's family in that way. And then we're told he was a valiant soldier, right? A valiant, heroic soldier, courageous soldier, but he had an ailment. He had a physical problem. It says he had leprosy. What is leprosy? And leprosy is a catch-all for a variety of different skin conditions, right? Um, severe skin conditions, usually, um, uh, that, that would cause the skin to man, turn an ashy white color. Uh, sometimes, man, even you would lose man, chunks of skin. It could cause uh, rot to, to your, your body parts, your extremities. It was bad news to get leprosy uh, in the ancient world. Man, not great to get leprosy anytime. But, but so there, there, there's, no, there's no treatment for it, right? So a lot of times it would be isolation. Uh, you would need to be isolated from other people. You couldn't touch your loved ones because they don't want to catch the leprosy, right? So this is an important, prominent guy, but he has a very serious condition with, the, with this physical ailment of leprosy, right? It's no good. This has got to be dealt with. So we're going to pause in Naaman's story and come right back to him. Um, it says, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she now served Naaman's wife, right? So Aram, again, uh, borders, neighbors with Israel, raiders had gone out into Israel and then kidnapped people and brought them back, had kidnapped this young girl. So now this young girl lives in Naaman's house and as a servant to Naaman's wife, right? If you're kidnapped and taken from your country to another country, I mean, that's not just a servant, that's a slave, right? So this, this, slave, this girl is here, this Israelite girl is here against her will, right? We don't get her name, right? We get Naaman's name, we get some other character's name, we don't learn her name. Uh, she has no power, no authority. She's a slave in a household. Uh, we don't get her name. Um, she has no control. She cannot go back home. She cannot make any important decisions. Um, of all the characters in the Bible, she would be among those with the least power, the least influence, the least agency. I mean, she's a slave, right? And it doesn't matter, I mean, whether Naaman and his wife were kind to their servants or not. That, that's, that's, that's beside the point. She didn't have a lot of power or influence. She's a nobody, right? She, she's in an important person's house, but she uh, is not a person of significance. You guys following where I'm going with this? Okay. We don't know this girl's name. We can just give her a name. What's a good name? Marametha. <laughs> is what I got there. Anyway. Uh, she serves Naaman's wife, right? So she, 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 she works for Naaman's wife. She says to her mistress, if only my master, that's talking about Naaman, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria. And Samaria, this region of Samaria, that was, that was northern Israel there. This is where the prophet Elisha is ministering. So, man, I know a guy that God works through miracles, man, healing miracles, just radical, wild stuff. I bet if my master goes to see him, says, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So, so, so God man, uses this girl, again, with no power, with no influence, to speak to this guy of great influence and says, you know what? You know, you, I bet you if you go see this guy, you'll be cured of your leprosy. Verse 4, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. And, that, and that's, that's the last we hear about the girl. 
right? She only appears in these, uh, these three verses in your Bible. Um, again, but critically important, right? The whole trajectory of this story hangs on this girl's boldness to speak out about her God and her God's healing and saving power. Verse four, um, Naaman went to the master and told, his master is the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Verse five, by all means go, the king of Aram replied. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. I guess they'd be pen pals or something. So Naaman left and he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Somebody would like to have 10 sets of clothing. Um, so he sends them, he says, yes, okay, hey, there's, there's a prophet in Israel who can heal. Uh, you know, we're we're going to send you to this guy because this leprosy is a problem. You need to be healed. I'm going to send you with some gifts you know, to kind of bless him with as a, as, a, as a thanksgiving. And so verse 6, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. King, King missed the whole point. Right? He's lost the plot. He's on some nonsense. Um, he, he reads this letter. He, this guy needs to be healed. And he, takes it, he makes it about him somehow. He's like, Man, I don't have any power to heal. I don't have any power to say. I can't, I can't help this guy. Why are you even messing with me? Is this, he's got some paranoia. Is this some kind of plot to come against me? Are y'all trying to start a war? He, he's totally missed it. Totally missed it. The king's missed it. The king... Of Israel, who should be reflecting the heart of God, who should know that Yahweh, the God of Israel, can save and heal and work miracles. The, the one that should be like, yeah, you've come to the right place. Our God is really God and can heal. The king that should be the representative of God is not. You guys see the contrast there? The slave girl in a foreign land, and she's a better representative of God than this king is. Well, anyway, to continue on, verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, basically he'd thrown a fit, he'd gotten real upset, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Basically, there is a, there is a God in Israel. Uh, there are prophets that really hear from God, and our God has real power. Verse 9, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, that's a river, and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed, right? And so there's a little bit of back and forth, but Naaman obeys. Naaman does this, right? He, he goes uh, and he, he's, he's, he washes himself there, there in the river, he obeys. Um, but I want you guys to think about, again, the contrast between uh, the king who has a, a position of great prominence and great influence, maybe the greatest influence in the land, should be using that influence for God, but doesn't. He makes it about him and his own insecurities. And then you have the slave girl with no prominence, no influence, no position, that speaks a word, hey, the God of Israel, he can save and heal and deliver. That changes the trajectory of this man's life. You guys see the difference? So continuing on, we'll drop down to verse 14. So Naaman obeys. He went down to the Jordan River. He dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. 
right? So his skin that was white and ashy and leprous and rotting in a really bad shape after obeying uh, and, and washing himself in that river seven times, God works a miracle and his skin's like a baby's skin, right? Brand new. He's got the best skincare regimen you've ever seen, right? I mean, he, he looks half his age. He's looking good. God has worked a miracle. God has healed him just as uh, was promised. Uh, he's healed. Verse 15 then Naaman and his entire party, the whole entourage, went back to find the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept this gift from your servant. I remember he brought the clothes and the gold and those gifts. Um, he makes an exclamation. Hey, it, there's no God in the world but in Israel, right? Aram had their own gods, lowercase g gods. They had their own idols. They had their own probably mythology system and, and gods that they worshipped. But Naaman realized in this moment, oh no, the God of Israel is the real God, right? The, 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 the idols that I prayed to, uh, they never healed me, right? They, they, they never saved me. They never delivered me. Um, but Yahweh, the God of Israel, and I, I went and sought him and I obeyed his word and I was healed. I was restored. And so God gets glory, among the nations, right? Among uh, a different kingdom, God gets glory uh, because, because this person entrusts in the Lord and is saved upon hearing about the Lord and from this person of seeming insignificance, of no authority, of no influence, no position. You guys see that? And so you guys may have heard this story before, uh, may have heard man, the story of Naaman, and I'll wash seven times in the Jordan, and leprosy will be healed. Um, and if you read on, you may read on at home, uh, Elisha's servant wiles out, and he makes a stupid decision following this story, and sometimes that's the emphasis of the story. But, but not often do we emphasize this young girl, and I think she is critically important, right? Critically important. Um, the, whole, the whole story hinges on her proclamation uh, that there is a God who saves, that there is a God who heals, that there is a God who restores. Uh, and even though I don't have a significant position, even though I'm seemingly nobody, I'm going to courageously speak up uh, about, about the God who really saves, about the one that can really heal you and restore you. And so I say that because, like I said at the beginning, you may feel like that's you. I'm a person of no significance. I'm a person of no influence, no position. And you are exactly the kind of person God wants to use to speak up for your glory, especially if the people that do have prominence and influence aren't speaking up for him. Well, man, we need to then, right? We need to. And the pattern of God again and again and again in his, his, his word is to use people just like this, right? To use shepherd boys, right? To, to slay giants and become kings of nations, right? To use other shepherds, to deliver people from, from slavery, right? And bondage and, and lead them into a promised land. Uh, when God, when it was time for God to save people from their sins and time for God to step into the narrative of human history to save mankind, his plan from the beginning, and he, when he stepped into human history, he didn't become a king or an emperor or a ruler or, no, who did he become? And he, he became a simple, humble man born, born in a, a small town of Bethlehem to, to, to not well-known carpenter parents, right? He was not a person of influence and power. Now, he gained influence because he spoke the word of God boldly talking about Jesus, right? Um, but when God chose to enter the, the, the human narrative, step into human history, man, he became someone lowly, someone humble, someone seemingly insignificant. And I think all of this is to remind us that God can use you right where you're at, whatever position you're in. It doesn't matter how insignificant it may seem to you or to the world. Man, God wants to use you right where we're at. 
Uh, the verse isn't up there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about how God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God uses the seemingly weak things to shame the strong. God likes to choose the things that seem small, seem weak, seem insignificant. Why? Because when he works through those things, he gets all the glory. Right? No one's going to mistake, oh, well, of course this guy succeeded because he's so strong, because he's so intelligent, because he's so charismatic, because he's so this or that. No, he'll choose the person who don't seem to have anything going for him so that when he succeeds, when she succeeds, God gets all the credit. God gets all the glory. And so that's why God uses these people again and again and again, these, these meek people, these humble people, so that he can be greatly glorified through them. Right? So when I think, well, I'm not really anybody special, that I'm the perfect candidate to be used mightily by God because that's who God likes to use so that he can get a lot of glory, so that he can be glorified here and among the nations, right? God wants to use you. God wants to use you right where you're at. So Jesus, man, he, he steps into human history. Uh, he, 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 lives, he lives among us a humble life, right? And then... Uh, proclaims the kingdom of God, proclaims that, hey, God loves you, wants to have a relationship with you, wants you to trust in him and be saved. Uh, Jesus is arrested. He's publicly executed on a cross. Man, he suffers there. The cross was painful and humiliating. Uh, and he suffers there and he hangs there. Why? For me and for you, right? So that we could be forgiven of our sins, so we could be made right with God, so he could conquer sin and death forever for us. Jesus is raised from the dead, and glorified, and now Jesus is the most well-known figure in all of human history, right? All of civilization hinges on this figure of Jesus Christ, and who started, who was willing to be humble, who was willing to empty himself of all the privileges of being divine, of being God, to, to, to have this, the humble life of a servant, to live among us, and God has now exalted him above every other name, right? That, that, that's our Jesus. It's the Jesus we sing about, the Jesus we worship, the Jesus, Son of God, and when we put our trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to save us, and that's how we have our sins forgiven, that's how we're made right with God, that's how we have a hope of eternal life in heaven when this life is over. Um, and so, man, if that's how God chose to interact with humanity, I want you to be encouraged that God wants to use you as well. And when you're feeling insignificant, yeah, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm really somebody. Uh, well, when God chose to be a human, he picked someone that wasn't somebody. Do you guys get that? He picked someone that wasn't super popular, influential, wasn't born into royalty, didn't live in a palace with a golden diaper, right? He, he didn't go that route, right? He chose humble beginnings, a humble life. Um, it didn't even have his own house. He said, I've got nowhere to lay my head. He didn't even have an address, right? He couldn't even send Jesus a letter like these kings exchange letters. Anyway, one last verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. This is Paul writing uh, to Timothy. Timothy's a young minister, a young pastor. He's just getting started. Uh, he's trying to pastor, but I'm sure there's times since he's young that some of the folks in the church be like, man, what do you know, right? You're just a kid. What do you know? Um, and, and so Paul's trying to encourage Timothy here uh, with, with these words. He says, uh, this is 1 Timothy 4, 12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. He says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you for, for your age, for being young. Um, and that anyone in there include yourself. And don't look down on yourself for being young. Don't think, oh, I'm going to do big things for God when I'm older, right? In a few years down the road. 
You know, once I graduate, you know, once I'm married, once I got a family, once I got my career, then I'll do big things for God. Uh, that's you looking down on yourself for being young. Said, so, man, don't let anyone look down on you for being young. God wants to use you right now where you're at. Even young, even I'm just a college student. I don't have any money. I don't have a lot of influence. That's where God wants to use you, right there. Not, not some distant future version of yourself when you think you're going to get it all together. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Um, God wants to use you right now. So when, when he's saying don't let anyone think less of you because you're young, that starts with you. Don't think less of yourself because you're young. But then also, man, don't let other people put you down. People will try to say, ah, you know, what, what do you know? You're, you're, you're young. What do you know? You're a kid. Oh, you've not really lived it. You've not really experienced yet. I mean, respect your elders, but also you don't have to internalize all that and get some kind of inferiority complex. And maybe I really don't know. No, I mean, lean into Jesus. Lean into God. Study his word and set an example for the people around you uh, and how well you love God and the way that you live and your faith. That's how much you trust God. Uh, set an example for them in your purity. And set an example on this campus of what it means to live a pure life. And if you live a pure life on this campus, are you going to stand out on a campus where uh, partying is celebrated and drugs and alcohol is celebrated and sexual immorality is celebrated? If you live a pure life, you're going to be different and you're going to set an example. Um, and, but, but you don't have to be a certain age to set an example for purity. And it's just God, help me to help me to live a pure life. Help me to be obedient to you. Help me to, to turn away from sin and turn away from these things that the, the people of this world get entangled in. Uh, and help me to walk a life that, that's, that's pure, to set an example uh, to the people around me. Help me to live a holy life. Help me to set an example by how much I love you, by the faith that I have in you. And it doesn't matter my age. Uh, God, help me to be an example of the people around me. Encourage the other believers around me, but also an example... To the people around me that are far from God, that need Jesus. I want to be an example to them as well. And I don't have to wait till I'm old and have a degree or I'm, you know, go to seminary or something to, to learn how to be an example to people. Uh, and I can do it right now where I'm at. I can be that godly example. Um, so God wants to use you right where you're at. And I want you guys to think about, well, if God wants to use you wherever he's placed you, where's he placed you right now? Right? And then maybe it's not an accident God has you in the family that he has you. It's not the family I would have picked. But I don't think it's an accident God has you there. Right? God, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a mistake that God has you born in the family that you're born in. God has you in the friend circle, the, the sphere of influence he has you in. Uh, in the classroom he has you in. In, in the lab he has you in with those, those classmates. Uh, it's, not, it's not an accident. God has you in that floor of the dorm with that roommate. Quick story. And when it, when it was time to come to college, I'd, I'd become a Christian in high school. Uh, I thought, man, when it's time to come to college, first of all, I was torn. I was like, Jesus, I really love you. Shouldn't I go to like a Christian college, a Christian university? A lot of my high school buddies were going to, to Bible college. And I would pray, God, don't you want me to go to Bible college? I'm a Christian. That'd be real good, right? Uh, several of my best friends and, and, uh, were, were going, to, going to Bible college. And when I prayed, I just didn't feel like that's what God had for me. And I felt a little let down about it. But it, in the end, man, I ended up going to uh, man, yeah, a large state school because I just felt like that's where, that's where God had me. Um, and, and I was thinking, well, okay, God, I'm going to go to just a regular secular university. But would you give me a Christian roommate? And I think that'd be so cool to have a Christian roommate. Because I'm picturing we could put on worship music. We could pray together. We could have our quiet times. I don't know what. Uh, but I wanted a Christian roommate. Uh, I didn't know anybody going to the school from my high school, so I, you know, I just get paired up randomly. Who got paired up randomly with the roommate in the dorms? I think that's most of our experience. So I'm paired up randomly. I get the guy's name and number in the mail, Justin Underwood. Let me call this guy. 
And, and I call him, we talk about who's bringing what to the dorm. Oh, he, he's, he's bringing most of the stuff. He's, he's got more than I do. Uh, and we show up. Uh, Justin, not a Christian. Not living for the Lord. He had a different trajectory in mind that was in, involved the fraternity system and partying and all of that. Was not looking for Jesus at college. Uh, so, well, God, I, I, I prayed for a Christian roommate. What's going on here? What happened here? This is not the position I would have chosen. Right? This is not where I decided to be. But here I am. Over the man, that, that first year that we lived together, I, mean, I would try to take advantage of opportunities though, to share Jesus with Justin. And say, hey, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian, and here, here's, here's what God's done in my life. And not just me. God had placed other people in Justin's influence that were sharing the gospel with him, uh, pouring into him, uh, and eventually discipling him. And Justin did start following Jesus. He became really you know, on fire for God, fell in love with the Lord, and God worked a miracle in his life. And at the end of that year, I felt a little convicted of how selfish of me to want a Christian roommate when God had a plan to place me with this guy that needed a witness, right? Needed somebody to share the gospel with him. Needed someone to, to be this example to him. Um, it's not the position I would have chosen, but I can look back and be like, oh God, you were in it. Um, and I'm really thankful, right? I'm really, man, Justin now, how many years later, still serving the Lord, he and his family still serve the Lord, love Jesus. And again, I know it's not just me, man, there are other people pouring into his life, but, but, but I want to, from that moment on, I said, God, I want to see the position I'm in from your perspective, not what's best for me, or what's going to be even most comfortable for me. A Christian roommate might have been more comfortable for me. There are some awkward exchanges, right, when, 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 he's, when he's pursuing one lifestyle and I'm trying to go for another. But what's best for the kingdom, what's best for Justin Right? It's different. And so when, I, when you think about the position you're in, man, God may have you there for, for a strategic purpose. And it may not be what you've chosen, but don't despise it. Don't look down on it. Wherever God's placed you, he wants to use you for his kingdom and for his glory to bring his glory to the nations. And you may not feel like a person of great significance or influence, but neither was the slave girl, right? Who spoke up and said, there's a God in Israel who can heal and who can save and you ought to go see him and his prophet. Um, God wants to use you wherever you're at. And he'll give you opportunities if you're bold, if you're courageous, and to speak up for him to bring him glory. Um, so my encouragement tonight uh, is to, man, wherever there is this insecurity or maybe feeling down in yourself, feeling, I don't know that God can use me. He can. He can. I want to build your faith. I want to encourage you that he can use you and wants to use you for his glory wherever he's placed you. Right, wherever he's put you, uh, I want you to be encouraged. God can use you there and wants to use you there. Amen? Uh, Jackie, you want to come and play? Uh, we're going to pray um, that God would really seal that in our hearts. Right? It's one thing to hear, Man, that sounds really good. Man, that's really inspirational. I like that. Um, but but I, need, I need the Holy Spirit to really seal that idea in your heart. So when you walk out those doors uh, you know, tomorrow, a week from now, you, you're not back to thinking, oh, I'm, I'm nobody. God can't use me. Um, I want tonight, or is this November 15th, 2023, uh, to really be a perspective-shifting night, a paradigm-shifting night where you're able to see yourself as, okay, God, wherever you've placed me, you can use me in a powerful way for your kingdom. Wherever you've placed me, you can use me strategically. It may be a college student at the University of Memphis. It may be my career may take me here or there. Uh, may take me to man, the, the, the middle of nowhere. may take me to another country. may take me somewhere else in the world. Wherever you place me, God, though, I want to bring you glory. I want to speak boldly about the God who can save and heal and restore. Uh, and God, I want you to use me wherever I'm at. Um, and, and God, if there is like an inferiority complex in me, like this king had, where I think, ah, I'm nobody, man, no one should talk to me, uh, I'm not anything that we, uh, 
that was just changing us because that's not the truth. And the truth is that you are made in God's image. Every single one of you uh, has value and worth because you're made in the image of God. You are valuable. You are important. Uh, and God can use you and wants to use you in a powerful way for his kingdom. Amen. Would y'all pray with me? Uh, God, would you look at our hearts? Um, God, you know each student's heart, each student's mindset. Uh, God, where we're at as far as how, how we view ourselves and how, how, we, how we view our identity and, and the, the role we play in your kingdom. And some of us feel kind of like sidelines people. The people doing big things for God are out there on the field and we're kind of on the bench and we're cheering for them. We'll get them water if they need it. Uh, but we can't picture ourselves on the field. We can't picture ourselves being the ones that you speak through uh, that really could change the trajectory of someone's life that would see someone put their faith in Jesus and be saved. We can't picture ourselves being the one uh, that would change the destiny of a whole family or even a whole nation. But the pattern in Scripture again and again is that you use everyday common people to do just that. So God, if there's any of us that are kind of and have a small vision of ourselves, to look at ourselves as insignificant, unimportant because of who we are or what our role is or the family we're born in or our financial status or our social status. God, I pray that you would shift that mindset right now in the name of Jesus. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, as your precious children, made in your image. And because we're made in your image, we have infinite value and worth and potential. Not so we'll get prideful or get a big head, but that we would know, God, that you can and want to use us in a significant way for your glory. So when we find ourselves in positions where we've got opportunities to speak up about the Lord, we would, and we'd speak boldly, knowing that you can use us in a powerful way for your kingdom to bring your glory to the nations. God, where there have been people in our life that spoke things over us that make us feel insignificant, and I know in a room this size, there's probably people that have sadly, unfortunately, have been told, you're nobody, you're not going to amount for anything. You're never going to become anything. Maybe you've heard you're stupid. You're ugly, you're nobody, you're nothing. I, I, I hate that. And, and no, no, that was a lie. That was an absolute lie. Absolutely untrue. And hear the voice of the Father that says you are loved. You are loved, you're precious. You're made in God's image, you're God's son, God's daughter. You have value, you have worth. And he can work through you to do amazing, incredibly miraculous things for his kingdom and for his glory here and among the nations. God, would you silence the lies and the enemy that echo in the back of our minds as we go through life? Would your truth resonate with us? God, as we spend time in your word and meditate on your truth, who are, what our identity is in Christ, who you've made us and remade us to be. God, I pray that your truth would define us, that we wouldn't look down on ourselves, wouldn't let anyone else look down on us either, that we would set an example for you and how well we love and how great our faith is in you and our purity and what we do and what we say. God, help us to be an example for you, God. God, I pray that you would use each and every one of these students in a powerful way. There's only a few weeks left in the semester, God, but where there's uh, man, roommates that need to hear the gospel, classmates that need to hear the gospel, lab partners, uh, people, people that we see in the cafeteria, in the library, on campus, God. God, would you use us in their lives to speak up about you, 
to point to the God who saves and heals and restores. God, use us. Use us for your kingdom. Use us for your glory. Let none of us count ourselves out and think, no, not me. Not me. I'm just the, I'm just the, the water boy. I'm just the cheerleader. To think that we don't have a role to play in your plan. God, use us. Use us. We want to be used. God, you're good and your mercy endures forever. God, thank you for your kindness towards us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to save us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to save us from our sins and make us right with God. If any of us are far from God tonight, we're not where we need to be. Holy Spirit, would you draw us to that place of repentance? God, that we turn away from whatever that thing is that's offensive to you, God. We renew our trust, renew our faith in you. Say, God, help me to, 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 to follow you from this day forward and never go back to that stuff, God. Help me to experience the freedom that you won for me on the cross. It'll be reality in my life. Freedom from sin, freedom from temptation, God. Help me, Lord Jesus. Praise you, God. Bless these students. Uh, God, God bless them. Encourage them and go, going into um, and Thanksgiving break. Some of them going home to difficult situations. Uh, and rather be on campus because maybe going home is going home to some tough family dynamics and situations. God, would you guard them? Would you protect them? Would you command your angels concerning them that they would experience your love, your tenderness, your nearness, your peace, your joy as they step into those homes? And God, that they would step into those homes and those situations as a bright light for you, as a witness for you, God. God, I pray for families to come to Christ, for family dynamics to be transformed, for family members to be saved that are far from you, God. We may dread the holidays, God, but you may have in mind to use them in a powerful way to see lives changed. God, you're good. God, we trust you. God, be glorified in our lives, God. God, help each and every one of us to be part of your heart and see your glory spread among the nations. In Jesus' name.